This is Market Scales Knowledge is Power with your host, Brandon Fluger. Hello, everyone, and welcome. In this episode of Knowledge is Power, we'll be exploring several topics that shed light on one particular leader's pivotal moments in her exciting career, major learning moments she's had, how her leadership has shaped the way B2B companies communicate and engage in doing business. And as always, you'll want to stick around for the end as we have a special sign-off ahead of our next episode. Joining me today, everyone, is Carrie McKenzie-Bush, Director of Marketing at Peerless AB, a premier designer and manufacturer of the highest quality products, including outdoor displays and TVs, DV LEDs, and LCD video wall systems, complete integrated kiosks, professional carts and stands, and more. Uh, you've likely heard of Peerless AV. Uh, next time you're at a hotel, next time you're at a stadium, just peek behind the screen and you'll likely see their mouths. She has more than two decades of experience in the enterprise B2B space, leading marketing and communications divisions uh, for some of the very best companies out there, including Imus Communications, Whole Foods Markets, Nebraska Book Company, Cedar Electronics, and ultimately Peerless AV, where she is today, just to name a few. She's also heavily involved in the Avixa Council and has experience with the DSE Group, among many more. I'm excited to introduce you today to Carrie. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Brandon. <laughs> it's so good to have you on, Carrie. And um, I know that was a long-winded introduction, but you've got so much really rich background there that I'm so excited to unpack with you. Um, I, I know in, in B2B and especially in the space that you're in now with ProAV, there's just so many connections that you guys make. There's, it's really a tight-knit community. And um, I'm excited to dive into really how that comes about and how you explore that and navigate that. So I'd love to just start at the, the very beginning with you and have you share with us just a little bit, maybe peel a few layers back and, and tell our audience, you know, what has shaped you into the leader that you are today, um, you know, with, with being at Peerless now, uh, having started uh, over at MS Communications and having worked with Texas Monthly, which I know well, being a, a Texan uh, by birth, um, would love to just peel back some of those layers and learn what's shaped you into the leader that you are. Sure. Um, yeah, I have to say I've had the luck of working with some really effective leaders in my career who definitely shaped the trajectory of my career, um, not only with how they treated me, but watching them with others as well. Um, some of the best mentors, too, are not always your direct supervisors, but um, are in the company um, that you can you can watch and you might not have a formal mentoring relationship with them, but you can definitely see how they interact in meetings, how they handle their staff, um, observing their communication in meetings, talking with them about their leadership theories, as well as how they handle specific situations. I emulate leaders a lot, so I'm watchful. I'm an introvert by nature. I'm definitely not a, a natural extrovert. So sometimes I need to pull from one mentor style in one situation, but I'll try and emulate another uh, who I thought handled conflict well, or maybe another who I watched and saw tactfully delivered unpleasant feedback. Um, but kind of just incorporating different leadership styles that I observed, as well as I had the benefit of having directly be my supervisor or in kind of a leadership role like that. And it influences a lot of how I lead now. I am very observant by nature. And typically when I'm first in a group or in any other kind of new dynamic, I watch people. I watch how they speak, their posture. In groups, I'll look at the dynamics between people. I'll see who the influencers are. 
I don't think I'm unique in this. Uh, it's always easy to see who has leadership qualities, even when they don't have explicit authority. And those are the people that interest me the most. And then not necessarily the loudest voices either. Sometimes I find the loudest voice in the room must be right, clearly, because it is so loud. Uh, but sometimes people who are more quiet are a little bit more reserved, um, even when they get talked over. The leaders who inspire me and I try and emulate are ones who are very aware of this and make sure that they get the feedback and input from all the participants or different voices that aren't always heard because they need to make the best possible decision. And as a decision maker myself, I want to make the best possible decision. So you can't always just listen to the loudest voice in the room. You have to take uh, a lot of different input and you have to protect the people who are a little bit quieter and maybe can't speak up for themselves as much to make sure that they are heard because some of the best ideas come that way. Um, I think that part of that in getting the job done, which obviously at the end of the day, that's kind of what we all, what your focus is and kind of why you're there. And it's not a popularity contest. It's really about business at the end of the day. So for me, that's also where diversity comes in. And I know that might be an unexpected place to have that brought up, but I think that there's a preconceived notion that the right idea or the solution comes from a person who looks and talks like X, and you're really just cutting yourself off from various viewpoints. One of the best hires, for instance, I've ever made was convincing my superiors for the right candidate for a job. It was for a digital marketing job. And there were flashier candidates who are interviewing, more well-spoken candidates who frankly interviewed much better. But what I needed for that role was not someone who's verbally adept and who could take control of the room. I needed someone who was analytical and thorough and reflective. This candidate was not a native English speaker. They were and are quiet by nature. Um, and he was not the favorite candidate of anyone but me. And so I did have to fight hard for him to get the job. My boss trusted me. We offered him the position. And he never grew to excel at presenting his work internally. He was always going to be this person of who he was, but he increased the efficiency of the digital marketing program and made, honestly, a tremendous amount of money for the company. And he's still there, even though I left the company, he's still there to this day running it. And, you know, he has the, the trust that he has earned over time, but it's... It's seeing the right spark in the right candidate for the job that you need done and then putting them in that role um, and then supporting them as much as you can to make sure that they're getting that done. The flashiest or the prettiest is not always the best, if that makes sense. And so really, it's just watching people and looking at people. No, that makes perfect sense. And it's about the team as well. You can't have a bunch of people that are, um, you know, that are point guards on the team that always need the ball. You need somebody that's that's a shooting guard or a center and can move and create space for others on the team. So there's my sports analogy for you. Um, <laughs> you need team players. You need team players um, on the team, and each person has a role. And it sounds like in that particular instance, which I'm excited to, to uncover a little bit more as well. Um, it sounds like in that particular instance, you needed a particular team player, not just uh, you didn't need the Ferrari when you really needed a truck. So, um, and in this regard, um, your truck could have been uh, a King Ranch, which is <laughs> almost as much as a Ferrari, but <laughs> at the very end of the day, it, it served a different purpose, and that's what you needed. And, and to that, your point, uh, like you, you said that yourself, is that you have all these different positions, and so building teams, you need all of these different skill sets, and you need them to work together cohesively, and and it's just 
you have to be able to see the qualities in the people that you're working with to make them or put them in the right position to help them be their best, provide what they're really good at and what they're able to contribute so that it all kind of works together. I don't watch sports, but to win the game with the ball is what we'll say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I know you know what college game day is uh, from our recent conversation. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> on that point, though, being able to recognize that, being able to recognize that it's a team effort and that each individual has a specific role in a team and you have to have that diversity amongst the team to accomplish those goals. Let's go back in time and, and talk about really how you got started in marketing. You know, what's changed over time for you? You've obviously held a number of different leadership positions across the t- uh, across your career uh, in some different industries. And you know, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about some of the major learning moments along the way that really allowed you to understand the things that you do now about how to emulate certain people, how to uh, identify what you would like to be what you don't want to do uh, as a leader yourself. So, you know, what what major learning moments did you have along the way? And, you know, what's what's changed along the way in marketing for you personally, Carrie? When I first started, I was in um, magazine publishing and um, the title didn't necessarily reflect it, but I was in a sales and marketing position where I sold um, our product. Our magazine was the product into retailers. And then I would run promotions in the retailers to increase the sell-through on a monthly basis because obviously magazines are a perishable product. And so you have a, a limited time frame in order to hit your numbers. Um, and there's certain truths in marketing and in sales that although the business jargon will change as to what we're identifying it as, the truths are still the same. So when I started, um, it was pre-internet and the internet was just first taking off. Companies knew they had to have a website. They didn't know why, but they all had one or started to make one. But for unclear as to why you'd have that, um, there was very little commerce done online because it was in its infancy stages and the security and the ease of online purchases that we now take for granted. It was simply not there. There were industries that still had to be built up. And so print marketing was huge. Mailings and store signage, POP, and these things are still really huge. And the lead times were extremely long, as anybody who's worked in print knows, and mistakes are costly and they're time consuming to fix. This is when we talked about the four P's of marketing, the right product in the right place at the right time with the right promotion. The um, jargon has changed, but there's still truth in that statement. And so in the last 20 something years, uh, aside from the obvious changes of technology innovation, very little has changed with marketing. The tactics have evolved, but the core of the the goal and the core of marketing really has not. Um, marketing is there to support and to drive register brings. So if I wanted to put this in context of retail, there's three ways and only three ways to increase sales in, in retail. That's increasing the number of transactions with existing shoppers, increasing the basket size of those transactions, and expanding the audience to secure new shoppers. And that's marketing's role is to assist in those three activities. So when you're in B2B, let's say we want to transfer that um, that theory or, or thought process over to B2B, the sales team is our checkout. They're the checkout. They're the register, right? So they're the register rings. And marketing in B2B assists that sales team to help them with their current customers as, help, as well as helping them to secure new customers. And so you might, that's where branding comes in and that's where advertising and all the different pieces, the digital marketing, the email campaigns, all the different things that we do to educate their current customers as well as 
try and wrangle in some new customers because ultimately our job is to support the registered lane. Yeah. And, and with that, um, you know, marketing has evolved, but the core remains the same to that principle. I can imagine uh, along the way you've had to make some tough or difficult decisions, whether it was having to sell an idea internally or uh, convince uh, leadership or a team that you were managing uh, that this particular way was the right way and here's why. Um, I'm sure you've had to make some difficult or tough decisions along the way. I'd love to hear about maybe you have a, a few in mind or a couple in mind and perhaps you had to rely on a mentor or a mentee relationship to help form that decision making. Is there a specific memory you have in mind that you can share with us? Thinking of it, ironically, you run into two problems when you're younger um, and you're trying to convince a team, an organization, or your boss of an idea. It's your inexperience that um, is against you, that you simply don't have the wisdom and you don't know. And when you're older, it's because you're out of touch and you just don't understand the way things are going. I think some of the hard challenges that I've run into that I have had to work with my mentors, honestly, um, is being allowed to make mistakes, which I think is key and vital for everyone's development. In fact, I won't hire somebody who won't openly talk about mistakes that they have made simply because, A, it's impossible that you haven't made a mistake, but B, true character of a team member or an employee comes out when you see how you deal with the mistakes because they are inevitable. And I did learn that from one of my bosses that I have that I actually followed to several jobs, as a matter of fact, um, to reconstruct marketing teams at different companies that he went to uh, that were restructuring. And that was one of the key things that I learned from him. And so from a mentorship position and then also just from um, I wish this was less of a problem. I don't think it is as much, but I have always had bosses that male bosses, especially who are very protective of female employees. Um, my father was the same way that um, making sure that women not only are treated equally, but making sure that they're not left out of the conversation. I remember early in my career, back in the day when I was still at the magazine, as a matter of fact, and it was when we still wore suits and pantyhose to work every day. I was in a very large meeting on a military base, and we were discussing bringing magazine distribution into military commissaries. We were all magazine publishers or distributors, and we we're discussing the logistics of servicing these locations. I was the only female in the room of 20 middle-aged men. And I had a rule early on that I learned from a mentor, never attend a meeting and not contribute. You at least have to say something, right? There has to be a reason that you're there. And uh, so I spoke up and I gave my opinion on a solution that they were talking about, which was very difficult for me um, in that room. I was kind of intimidated. But the man next to me, he turned, he patted my knee. I remember specifically, uh, told me not to worry my pretty head about this and that they would take care of it. And I said nothing. And I shut right up and I did not speak again in that meeting. I was red faced. I was done. <laughs> but in retrospect, I made it a rule after that never to let anyone condescend to me so publicly again. And then also to stand up for anyone else being condescended to. I was in a room in a different package than everyone else. Um, I had a different communication style than everyone else in the room, but that didn't lessen the value of what I had to say. It was a very demoralizing experience, but there's so much value in that moment for me. And without it, I'm sure I would have made different choices in the last 20 years. But, uh, you know, as much as we choose employees, you also choose a boss 
kind of. Um, and it's important to me to, to make sure that I'm working, uh, for someone, for a company, especially, and, and a, a direct supervisor who has a lot of respect for the job that needs to be done and doesn't care what package it comes in, just wants somebody with integrity who's going to get the job done, which is very appreciative. And so that's something that I learned um, very well. <laughs> another lesson that I learned, and this is more in regards to staffing, another huge mistake, well, I consider a huge mistake. I, was, I promoted the wrong employee to lead one of the teams that was underneath me. And I don't want to say that, and I have to clarify, the person promoted was good and capable and able to do the job successfully. But when making the decision, I, I ignored my gut. And uh, I did not promote the fiery, passionate person who was poised to take the job that everyone had expected to take the job. She was a natural leader on the team already. She was one of those who could lead without the explicit um, authority to, uh, but people still followed her and still listened to her. And it caused that person to pursue a position at another company where today she's still kicking butt. But I think that ignoring your gut is the worst mistake that you can make. And just because something looks good on paper, it's not always the right decision. There are a lot of intangibles that come into play uh, that cannot always be articulated, but there is realistic credentials and concrete experience. I would not have had half the opportunities that I have had if people didn't rely on their gut with me and my capabilities. No one ever starts out as a master of anything, but that potential and that intangible something that someone has, um, it means something. And it's something that I regret to this day. And uh, I do keep it with me. Um, and I'm grateful for it because it informs my decision making now. I remember not trusting my gut. And that is something that I learned from that same manager, as a matter of fact, that sometimes you're going to make decisions or want to go in a way that doesn't on paper seem to make sense, but it's the right fit and you can't articulate it as well as you want. But that doesn't mean you back away from it. And so that is something that I've learned. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much to, to dive into in that. But totally get where you're coming from. Um, if you've ever gone against trusting your gut, I'd love to see what the statistics say about that actually turning out uh, for the best. So, yeah, it's interesting when you bring that up. You know, your gut is based off what you said. Uh, your gut's based off of experiences and interactions and feelings and life, uh, life interactions, so life events. So when, when you talk about maybe having promoted the wrong person, uh, having lost an all-star on your team that people naturally followed, I can imagine you've got some interesting insight after that moment that you could share with us when it comes to helping your employees grow themselves professionally or personally to get the most out of their potential and really honing in on the, on the people on your team to make sure that they're growing, but also that you're growing as well. Yeah, I think with that, and especially with the gut and reading my gut, and I'm thinking of, you know, even team members that I, I manage currently, it's, it's seeing them really for, for what they're good at and what their natural abilities are, even if sometimes they don't realize it. And working with them to, to build that out you can't, you know, being an introvert is not a um, character flaw. It's a character trait. And so you can't help someone improve by changing who they are, but you can take who they are and envision a path and then work with them, not only to get uncomfortable to try and achieve. I mean, discomfort is an important part of growth that uh, people do shy away from, but just making sure that 
you're working with them, you're identifying it, you're making sure that they know that you see that in them and then talking to them about their goals and what they want so that not only are you giving them the training or the opportunities that they that they explicitly want but then also kind of bending them in a way so they are a little uncomfortable and putting them into areas that they had no idea that they were going to excel at and then all of a sudden they do and how exciting that is not only for them but for you because it not only it, it instills confidence in them as they go out throughout their career, but it also helps me out as well, or the person who's guiding, because then you were, you have this area that's filled that no one thought was going to be filled or um, excelling in an area that um, your team might have been weak at before, simply because no one had identified it. Yep. Gosh. Yeah. You're right on the money. It's interesting when you can push people to their limits and identify uh, areas where they might not know or have recognized yet that they could get to or even thought about going that in, in that direction as well. Um, so a strong leader can identify that and uh, help push them in a way where they're out of their comfort zone, uh, but in a, in a way that's uh, conducive to growth personally and professionally as well. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a learning moment for them as well, uh, for themselves and a good example for them probably to look back in their careers at some point and say, gosh, you know, I remember when I had a, a boss, Carrie, her name was Carrie, and um, she really pushed me to, to explore these new things. And I never thought I could do it, but there I was doing it. And I'll never forget that. So maybe in due time here, they'll be on a podcast, Carrie, and <laughs> talking about their experiences with you and and having those moments that really stood out to them. I'd like to go back just one more point to mentor-mentee relationships, really this idea of being a leader, uh, especially now in the AV space specifically. Um, I know it's such a tight-knit community, and you've got the Avixa Council. Uh, you've got uh, just generally the partners that you all um, work with and interact with to bring these massive projects to life. Uh, it's a very tight-knit community, and I can imagine you working with other marketers uh, on other teams to bring these projects uh, to fruition, but also bouncing ideas off of each other as well. I'd like to understand a little bit more from you, your experience in an association like Avixa and in the AV space where community is really important and is tight-knit because you have to get things done together. You know, Maybe there are some projects that you've been part of uh, where you've learned a lot. Uh, together on that, or even as as you're looking forward, you know, some things that you're anticipating coming up um, that your team are looking forward to, that you're looking forward to, because maybe you haven't had those experiences lately. It's only been on Zoom or, or otherwise. So talk to us a little bit about your tight-knit community in the AV space, how networking and mentorships and programs in that arena um, help you and help others and, and help the next waves of young professionals as well. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, I will have to say that coming from electronics and so coming from Cedar Electronics, which is Cobra and Escort radar detectors, first thing everyone says is I used to have one of those, is more in the consumer, um, <laughs> consumer electronics space. And coming into AV where the product selection is is different. And I had a huge learning curve as far as products, how the how the companies work together. And I relied on the team that reports to me so heavily, and I still do, for the relationship advice 
who to contact for for what, who's who's players in what areas that are important that we work with. And one thing that I've done watching the sales team and seeing how the sales team is so constantly working with each other and they all know each other and they all switch places and in their positions, you know, to different companies and stuff like that. But how we network so well with the sales team. And I don't know that we were networking as well as we could have on the marketing team. There's a lot of tribal knowledge, but not even formalizing those relationships. And so um, trying to make sure that we're having an ongoing closer relationships to pick the brains, because honestly, it's, it's so refreshing to get somebody from another company in the marketing team on the phone and not have the sales team on, not have, okay, so let's get this done. How are we, you know, you deal with the same issues that we deal with. There's a camaraderie there and um, it's, it's, it's refreshing and it's nice, um, especially because it is so relationship driven that the face-to-face contact is so important. The trade shows are so important. Um, but we do work on so many joint case studies and white papers and we're working on these projects together. And so having these great relationships together, I think has been very important, but it has been quite a learning curve, just even understanding who the players are, let alone um, the technology itself and how it works. And so I have my uh, CTS textbook here that I'm trying to get through, but we'll see how far I get to make sure that because, you know, there's the tenants that are true that, 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 you know, cross all industries, um, but learning the specifics to the pro AV specifically. And so we have had some good partner relationships that have blossomed and become stronger as a result of us putting just more effort into having those connections because we all deal with the same challenges. You most certainly do. And it's, it's fun to be an observer on on my end of, (laughs) Uh, of these projects, but I can only imagine getting even further behind the scenes that um, that y'all are dealing with. So perhaps we can share some of those stories next time we're together, maybe at yes. ISE or, or Infocom coming up. But, right. Well, that, that brings me to uh, my next question, um, really one of our last questions here. And it's, you know, we're halfway through uh, this year, 2021. Um, the second half of the year is right coming up, you know, perhaps You've got some insight into some of the big trends uh, you anticipate your industry embracing as it moves forward. Perhaps you're just looking forward to getting back in person with some of these colleagues from these different companies and uh, having that in-person relationship building again. But would love to just hear your thoughts coming up, what you're excited about, what you're looking forward to in the second half of the year. Perhaps it's you know bringing something new to the table as well that we haven't done in the past. And being in person, this is the perfect time to introduce that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think what definitely came out of the pandemic for us in the AV space is the distilling of what is important is we tried to have virtual trade shows and so much webinar and so much time spent on our screen. Um, the thing about this industry that is so remarkable to me that I can't stop talking, <laughs> can't stop talking about it is just how relationship driven it is. And, um, how how small it is. Everyone knows everyone. Networking is extremely important and these relationships go back for a long time. And I think that having the in-person events again and the meetings in person is so important because there is that relationship component that's so vital. And you can try digitally to, to keep up with it, but I think that that's a foundation. One thing that I think that might change with events and meetings in person is realizing the opportunities that we have for 
being very experiential in kind of the engagement that we're having with um, customers and with peers, making it a little bit more extra, more tangible, more titillating to the senses because you have that opportunity, which, you know, I think that none of us expected, obviously, what happened or carrying on the same way. So I'm interested to see like how we change doing these in-person events. And I'm really curious to see if there's still going to be the in-person and virtual component. So it's a hybrid or is the virtual going to fall away once we have the opportunity for that not to be the case? I think that that will be extremely interesting. And, um, you know, when you have these relationships, they drive collaboration between companies on projects as well as products, and that drives innovation. And so while we have put in a lot of time and money and resources as an industry um, coming up with solutions quickly um, to help the world uh, be remote, you know, and there are expenditures there, the focus has quite a bit been on that. But what does it look like next and what will the next trends be? I think is something that we'll discover when we come back together again. Yeah, most definitely. And there'll be uh, plenty of opportunity for uh, great conversations on the collaboration that's been going on um, that maybe hasn't made it to market yet, but um, mm-hmm. they're looking forward to releasing as well. So I'm, I'm really excited to see you know, what people come up with how that experience uh, is different at these trade shows than they were in the past, but, you know, really looking forward to seeing the new innovations, um, even perhaps some of the new training measures. You mentioned experiential, you know, people are, like you mentioned, have, they were forced to put a lot of resources into digital experiences, you know, training fell right into that as well with some of the younger professionals out there that might be going to trade schools or um, they're in universities or they're, just learning a new trade to to break into the AV space, engineering space, and you know, being able to do online learning has been interesting. Some are doing it better than others. Some is, yeah. uh, some are more successful than others with it, and uh, it's more engaging, exciting, interactive. Uh, I'm excited to see how that component changes going forward. I think the on-demand aspect of of some of these uh, companies that are doing it the right way, that are doing it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, is going to continue, but when you get some of the in-person as well, you build that relationship, which I think uh, is becoming our theme here, this overarching theme of <laughs> relationships in-person. Uh, relationships are very, very important no matter how digital our world is. There's still this in-person relationship that has to happen. And with these trainings, again, back to this younger, younger wave of professionals coming in, do you see the AV industry uh, embracing more training in person with younger generations to get them in involved as things continue to just evolve so quickly, rapidly overnight, you know, the next COVID pandemic, you know, we're going to have to change again. Um, These these younger professionals are going to have to evolve with that. Do you see in-person training or programs being put into place to further educate them um, to help get them up to speed, to help get them the experience they need? to be successful in the industry? Well, I do. And you said something interesting about on demand, that that is something too, that we've been taking for granted for the past year or so. Since everything is digital, it's been boxed and it's been saved and recorded, you can access all the information that you need at any time. And so you're not waiting for a certain date for it to come out. And, you know, younger folks who are entering or even older folks being trained on on different products that are new to them or different processes or information, I think that training is going to be an interesting 
part of that because we have become accustomed and to the on-demand aspect of that and um, having it be able to be accessed after the fact so that you're able to go back and reference it, I think is important and maybe something that there was not a focus on prior. But now I think that it's kind of a demand that that's what we want. And so yeah. I'm interested to see how how that changes with the information and the snippets of the information that is presented, let's say at Infocom this coming year, and they do have educational sessions. And uh, if you're not able to go, or if you did go, what kind of access will people be demanding after the fact to train everyone else in their office or to get that information disseminated? Time will tell. I think that's one of my favorite quotes. Um, My dad, (laughs) my my dad always said, timing is everything. Um, No matter what Let's wrap it up with with something along those lines. Um, tell me one of your favorite quotes. You know, maybe tell us what it means to you, your favorite quote, and why. Uh, maybe it's something that motivates you in your professional work, or something that just rings true in a professional or for a personal setting that just has stuck with you over the time. Yeah, and actually, I had to. I looked it up to make sure that I was right and I was wrong. But the I hire people brighter than me and get out of their way which I was describing to uh, Steve Jobs, but it was actually the Iacocca. <laughs> but, you know, since we were talking about um, leadership, I think that that's so key and so vital because I, I um, definitely see leadership as not um, someone who is uh, autocratic and authoritarian, but someone who's really just coordinating talents and making sure that those talents are coordinated in the right way to get the right product. Um, of whatever that end product or result needs to be. And so I think that's really important. And I have a, I've always had a massive amount of respect for the people I've worked for, but then also the people who work for me, because actually I learned so much from them as well, and hopefully provide a safe space where they feel that they're able to give that feedback where sometimes they're the expert and I'm not. And I'm happy to admit that as long as the, the job gets done and the project or the end result is there as to how we wanted it because that's at the end of the day what we're here for. So I would yeah. say that would be my favorite quote. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, that's a good one. And um, we've got the correct attribution there now. So we can we can publish that safely. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, love it. Carrie, well, uh, there was so much to, to dive deeper into on this. I know we're limited on on time, always. Uh, timing is everything. Look, it came back into play again. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But um, Certainly enjoyed sitting down with you and learning about different ways that uh, leaders can evolve, um, how you can help lead the next generation, and how you can always uh, further yourself both personally and professionally and and help those around you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, really appreciate your time on this yeah, episode. Thank you. Look forward, yeah, look forward to interacting with you again and um, at the shows coming up and perhaps having some of your your colleagues on as well in the AV space and furthering this conversation along with them. So thanks again for joining today. Thank you very much. I've had a blast. All right. Well, that does it, everybody. Carrie McKenzie-Bush at Peerless AV, talking about major learning moments, talking about business decisions along the way, uh, and and how she's gotten to where she is today, always giving it back to the next wave of professionals. So until next time, this is Brandon with Knowledge is Power.